Life Radio. Stories at the intersection of music and life. Welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com, and it features interviews and stories about and related to music. Pianist and composer Richard Goldsworthy creates tranquil, melodic, and uplifting music for solo piano. Born in Cairns, in the tropical north of Australia, he spent his early childhood in the tiny raised forest village of Kurwanda. Much of his music is inspired by the unique natural beauty of Australia's tropics. After 12 years of classical piano study, Richard began composing as a teenager and released his first album, Firelight Moon, in 1992. He also spent several months traveling and performing in Japan, where he composed music for his album Silk, before returning home to produce his album The Quietening, which has sold in excess of 5,000 copies and is receiving worldwide airplay on the CalmRadio.com network. Richard created the music for his albums during several writing retreats on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, the ancient forts of the Bunya Mountains, a mud-brick cottage on a hill in the Noosa hinterland, and watching the sunrise over the famous Glasshouse Mountains, as well as his home studio overlooking the ocean. His sixth solo piano album, Lifted, was released at the end of 2011. I spoke with Richard on a number of subjects. Tell me about yourself, where you're from, and how you began playing music. Did you start as at an early age? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was um I was actually born and spent my early childhood in a very interesting place. I um in the far north of Australia, we have a tropical area where it's all rainforest and waterfalls and um tropical islands and all that sort of thing sounds quite like a paradise and it really is and I spent my early childhood in a tiny little town in the rainforest called Kuranda in the north of Queensland and my dad ran a weather station up in the mountains and um, I lived in this place where there was like an impenetrable forest at my back door which my mum was always terrified I was going to vanish into and she'd never see me again and um, we had a big waterfall down the road and a lot of the tribal indigenous Australians, the Aboriginals lived around us too and the princess of the Aboriginal tribe was actually my babysitter who, who was an amazing lady and she left a big impression on me so I grew up in this very special and creative little town but um, by the time I was old enough to have piano lessons, we'd moved to a larger city. So I guess I was about seven by then. And um, 
I was really fortunate to um, have a really great piano teacher. I had um, I went through all the formal training in piano, like you know, doing classical exams and that kind of thing. But um, I, what was lucky with my teacher is she sort of sat me down at quite an early age and said, "Look, if you want to learn to play properly." We have to do Bach and Mozart and scales and exercises and things like that. But as long as you practice those, then when you want to play other music, bring that along and we can do that too. And when I started composing little pieces of music, she really sort of nurtured that too. So she sort of cut a deal with me. And even though I was really young, fortunately, I seemed to understand that. And I kind of made a bargain with myself that I'd do all the levels of classical training first and then go off and do whatever I wanted. And uh, that was pretty much how it worked. And you, this was all at a, a very early age? You said you started yeah. around when you were about seven? Around seven, yeah. And I sort of all through high school, I did like an, I do like a classical exam every year till I got to the diploma level of that. And when I, by the time I was about 12 I, or 13, I was writing, you know, little pieces on the piano and that kind of thing. So I just sort of, um, yeah, I, I guess some was something that came quite naturally to me, something that felt like I was always meant to do, I guess. And uh, did you start at any point playing with uh, other musicians? The career I have now in of just doing solo piano music is just sort of my most recent incarnation in a long musical career, I guess, because um, I jammed with a lot of friends when we were in school. We'd always, there was a little room with a piano in it and we'd always go in there in our lunch hour and just sort of sing and play and do different things. And then I, when I left school, I actually went to university for a couple of years and um, start, did a business degree because um, my folks kept saying to me, you know, oh, it's great to do music, but, you know, you've got to have a real job. <laughs> they were sort of afraid I'd be a starving artist. So... Um, I went and did um, a business degree where I actually majored in marketing, which has kind of come in handy <laughs> now that I, I'm an independent artist. But, um, yeah, um, as soon as I finished university, I joined a touring rock band who toured around Australia, around my country for a couple of years and just mainly played covers and a few original things and did lots of pubs and nightclubs. And I got to experience life on the road as a young guy, which, you know, when you're about 20 is really exciting. <laughs> you feel like you, you're sort of a little rock star. But the novelty of living in a different place every three weeks sort of wore off after a couple of years and I gave that away. So what kind of music was that? Was it like pop? Pop yeah, music, top 40? It, yeah, it was sort of pop rock, and um, we had a girl, both a girl and a guy singer in our band, which meant we could sort of do, you know, the, you know, either female or male vocal that was around at the time. Yeah, a lot of the 80s pop kind of rock sort of stuff. Um, the, the singer we had was sort of like Pat Benatar, so she was really good at singing girl rock songs and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And um, after I finished that, I um, basically started doing 
piano bar gigs, which I just fell into. That was that was an interesting story, if you'd like to hear it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, after after a couple of years of sort of touring with the band, um, I think I'd imagined that we were just going to go off and start touring and someone was going to find us and we were going to be the next Fleetwood Mac or something like that. And that didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, we we were we were we weren't bad and we had fun, but um, and then I sort of came back and lived with my folks for a little while after I'd left the band, and sort of thought, oh, okay, what do I do now? And I'd sort of played and sung, but only sort of um, really on my own and with friends and that sort of thing, and I sort of took a month or two off, and then I went, okay, well, I need to get some kind of job. And there was an ad in the um, newspaper for a piano player. And I thought, oh, well, I guess I'll go along and see what this is about. And um, it was an agent, music agent, who'd put the ad in and he said, okay, come along and audition. And I went into this room with the piano and he said, okay, go and play me a song. And so I played a song and he said, oh, yep, that's good. He said, do you sing? And I went, oh, you know, not really. I've been in a band and I've just sung back up and that kind of thing. He goes, oh, oh, don't worry about that. It's just me. You know, have a go anyway. So I sang him a song. And he went, oh, okay, yep, that's great. Friday night you've got a gig here. Saturday night you've got a gig here. Next week you've got a gig here. (laughs) And um, this was with about three days' notice. And so I kind of went, ah! So I went home and frantically sort of learnt enough songs to be able to play like a three or four hour gig. And um, wherever I played, they said, yep, we'll have him back the next week. So they must have liked it. And I just sort of fell into this about a 15 year career of kind of being a Elton John slash Billy Joel like piano man. (laughs) And um yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, I think I think a lot of people who end up as original musicians really learn their craft through doing covers, and I think that was the case for me because, you know, when you play, say, an Elton John song, Elton John, apart from his songs and his voice and his hilarious outfits and everything like that is an amazing piano player and has an amazing technique and if you learn to play one of his songs properly like the way that he plays it you go wow this is and he's got a very unique style and then billy joel has as well but completely different to elton john and it's sort of like i when i look back now by playing all of that sort of music like I learned a few of their tricks. I learned a few of the ways they do things and there'll be certain, you know, chord progressions that each of them will like to use that are just really nice and you go, hmm, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's an it's an interesting way of learning your craft. And I got to travel with that a bit too, which was really nice. I got to play in a few five-star hotels in different parts of the world and things like that and, yeah, some some lovely venues. So, um, yeah, I was the second incarnation after the band was Richard the Piano Man and then just when I was cruising along really happily with that, we um, had a third incarnation where I ended up in a duo. <laughs> so, and... Um, this was with an African-American guy who'd moved to Australia and was an amazing soul singer. 
and um, he happened to move to the town. Actually, I'd moved back to my hometown of, of Cairns in the north of Australia, and I was just playing in a piano bar, and he happened to move to this town and came in with some friends. Yeah, I was there playing one night, and this... Um, Guy came in with a group of friends and his friends came up and said, oh, we've got this guy who's, who's a really great singer. Can he sing a song with you? And he got up and sang Summertime in a voice sort of like would have come from Marvin Gaye and everyone went, wow. And the manager of the hotel just walked up and went, we want, I want this guy to sing with you. We want to you know, start a night a week where he sings. We just want you to play together. Can, can you do this? That just happened right then. Absolutely. It was almost like an, an instantaneous thing. So I had his name is, yeah, his name is Tarvin. He's actually living back in his home state of Alabama at the moment. Though my heart feels so unsure And my mind so insecure You stood with open arms, girl and took me Now our journey can begin And I'm proud I had the courage to tell you how I feel But with weakness hides and strength we can reveal I walk so many roads to find you Travel so many nights and days But it took someone like you To lead me to take A leap of Seven years we worked in a duo and um, that was a Hilton that I was playing in at the time and what they did is they created an act where we sang all Porter and Gershwin 30s and 40s music in this very sort of elegant little piano bar and it was brilliant. It was such a nice atmosphere and um, what I got to do with Tarvin um, was for the first time learn to be a harmony singer which I'd never done. And the really nice thing about he had one of those voices where nothing would put him off. Like, you know, he, he had perfect 
pitch and you could set off a bomb next to him and he'd keep singing exactly the same way. So as a harmony singer, you could fool around and try whatever you like and um, nothing nothing would put him off. So I had a great time doing that and we travelled a bit. I, I had my first trip to the US with him. We went over there for a about three times and travelled around and did a few gigs and also worked on a few of the islands around Australia and in Papua New Guinea and, um, yeah, a few different areas of this country. So had a really great career with him as well. But um, How many years was that? That was about about seven years that we we worked together. And we also recorded a little bit of music I'd sort of written with him as well and won, won a couple of little song contests with those songs and that. But um, in the end, he um, decided to spend some time living back in the US because he sort of had family who were parents who were getting old and that sort of thing and decided he wanted to spend time back in Alabama for a while. So um, that took us up to about um, 2003 when he left and um, went back to Alabama and after he decided to do that because I'm not a US citizen and I can't go over there full time and work or anything, um, I started the current phase of my career that I'm in I guess now, which is doing my original solo piano music. Okay, so that's been about since 2003. Yeah, well, I'd always done this. In fact, my first album, which is called Firelight Moon, my first album of original solo piano, I released in um, uh, 1992, so, you know, almost, almost 20 years ago. And I'd always played around, as I mentioned, with my piano lessons, writing these little piano pieces. And for a long time, I didn't ever think of doing anything with them because I didn't think that kind of music would have an audience. And um, one of the things, there was a couple of things that sort of changed that. Um, One, I um, bought an album by an American pianist called George Winston. And um, people may remember back in sort of the 80s, um, they started a record label called Wyndham Hill, which was basically called, you know, I guess they called it New Age music back then. I really hate that term because it sort of, um, it, it, I think it puts it in a very small box and it's really something much bigger than that. But um, essentially it was, you know, music, out of the mainstream and more in the chill-out, relaxation sort of vein. And George Winston was one of the first artists signed to Wyndham Hill, where I bought this album by George Winston, which was this beautiful, gentle solo piano music. And I went, hey, this guy is kind of writing the kind of things that I write. And he's made an album and people are buying it. And, oh, well... Maybe I could do this too. So George Winston was one thing. And then at the same time, I had a friend who opened a shop who sold like, you know, self-help books and crystals and music and all those kind of things. And she said to me, 
She said, look, I get people coming into my shop all the time asking for this music. If you made an album of it, you know, I'd sell it. So between those two things, I made my first album called Firelight Moon of just, and that was a really, really, that's actually the quietest album I I ever made. All of my music's reasonably quiet now, but that one, um, when I played uh, classical piano, I loved playing Chopin's Nocturnes, which means basically night music, and they're all very gentle, very slow, very atmospheric, um, almost hauntingly beautiful um, pieces. And one thing that always annoyed me a bit about classical music is it always changes mood all the time, and I thought, wouldn't it be lovely to have something that just stayed in that gentle mood like Nocturnes do? So... Firelight Moon was kind of like an album of nocturnes and um, it basically did well enough to um, encourage me to do more of the same thing. I sort of, it, it, it wasn't huge, but it sold enough to make a profit and um, I went, okay, well, there are people out here who are actually interested in this music. So, um, but I was doing this just sort of part-time while I was doing my duo and my piano bar stuff and all the other things I was doing. So um, that there were three albums I did as sort of a part-time thing before I went full-time into just doing the solo piano. So you have uh, six albums at this point, six solo albums? Yeah. So yeah. did you do any recordings with... Um uh, the soul singer? Um, n- only sort of demos, really, and, and things like that. We did, oh, we did, we did kind of, yeah, we did kind of do a short album together, yeah. And, you know, who knows, after um, he's thinking of moving back to Australia next year, so we may take up that um, career option again. Mm-hmm. But um, I think once I, once I started focusing on really doing my sort of original music and writing the writing the solo piano and developing each album as a real sort of concept that sort of sort of filled up my life and sort of got my creative juices going because um the second album I did after Firelight Moon happened when I moved back to where I was born and um that as I, as I mentioned, where I grew up is like a tropical paradise. Probably for um, people in the US, it's 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 very much like Hawaii, I guess. So that's that's the that's the closest way to describe it. And but of course, when you're a little kid, you think where you live's just normal. You don't think you think everyone lives somewhere like that. And it was when I moved back there as an adult that I really realised what an incredible place. I'd grown up in, and um, I wanted to create an album that was a tribute to sort of the beautiful place that I come from and that really reflected who I was and my culture and that sort of thing. And that was an interesting journey because I initially, it sounds like a great idea, but I initially found it quite hard um, because... It, it, you found it quite hard in writing? Yeah, because and because um, I guess I'm a little like a lot of Americans. 
I don't have a very distinct cultural heritage like, you know, I'm I'm not an indigenous person, I'm not an African American person. All all of these people have a very very strong cultural heritage and I'm like I come from sort of a, you know, my mother was German, my father was English and their sort of grandfathers came to Australia and um, you know, um so so I'm I'm sort of I I found I didn't have it was really I didn't have a cultural identity like say an Australian Aboriginal would have or a Native American Indian would have or an African American would have and I I was really it was funny I was actually really jealous of these people because I thought you've got this hugely strong culture to draw on to make your music and what's my culture and I went to this through this real crisis that I didn't have a culture and um I actually um solved it in a way that <laughs> you'll probably appreciate um I actually went out and started taking photographs and I basically went all around the place that I'd grown up in to walk to the waterfalls, to the beaches, to the forests, to the mountains. And like I pretended I was a tourist and I started just photographing all of my favorite places. And suddenly it was like I was seeing it again for the first time. And it was through those photographs that I actually found my little unique place in the world and I went okay this is my culture and it's not a really obvious one like some of those other race lines I mentioned have but it was nonetheless meaningful to me and then I created an album called Magic Happens which is all written about the places I grew up and the places that I love and the places I feel culturally attached to so yeah, it was a really that was a really interesting journey making that album. And that is the only time I've actually worked um on my solo piano recordings with somebody else. And I had a girl who I'd been friends with for years who grew up in the same area I did, who has a beautiful soft voice and around that time was when a lot of Enya's music was really popular. And I thought in the background from the piano it would be really nice to have someone not necessarily even singing words but just a voice doing some really soft harmonies sort of along the style of how how Enya did on a lot of her albums so um my album Magic Happens on a few of the tracks features a female vocalist in the background just very softly so that makes that one a little different to the other things I've done too
I was going to ask you, how do you write and what is your process? What inspires you in, in writing your music? I think what a lot of creative people find is they have all this creative ability, but finding a way to focus it can often be really difficult. And um, we creative people often tend to be not very disciplined people too with it. So sometimes it can take, it, it can be really hard to get some of the ideas in your head onto paper because so, so yeah, I've had an interesting process and probably what I'd say first is I, I do go to interesting, all kinds of interesting places. I've been blessed to do that for sort of each of my albums, which I'll, I'll speak about in a moment. But I think what I learned most is that as much as going to a place that's inspiring it's also about removing all of the distractions that are normally around me. So what I, for example, if I try to write music at home, it takes me 10 times as long because home, even though I'm very fortunate, I live, I live in an apartment where I look over the Pacific Ocean and I can sort of see forever to the horizon right in front of me right now as I'm talking to you, which is beautiful and a real blessing. But at home, all the rest of your life happens at home. And, you know, um, people call you, people send you emails, you know, people eat breakfast and you need to do the dishes. <laughs> um, it, it, it's like life is always happening. And um, so what I've found in the creative process more than anything else is to sort of give myself the gift of going somewhere where I've got nothing else to do except think about music. And I think what really taught me that is um, I made an album in Japan and um, my um, just bringing up the chronology, Firelight Moon I mentioned was my first album, Magic Happens was my second and I did another called Hidden Dances very much the same way inspired by where I grew up because the first one of that got such a great response. And then my next creative project was to go and make an album in Japan. And once again, this was a lovely story of how it came about. This all came about just at the point where my duo singer had decided to go back and live in America. And um, we applied for a few gigs in Japan and um, they just, for one reason or another, just hadn't quite sort of come through. And just after he left, I had a call from... I, I just started performing entirely as an original musician and going to music festivals and art and craft markets and things like that and just selling my music and it had started to do really well like it was the first time I saw I could actually make a living just from this music I write which was a really really exciting moment and I just got to the point where I go oh you know I, I, I can I can do this now and out of the blue as often happens in life I got a call from this agent and they said, oh, look, we're just calling you on an off chance about a job in Japan. Um, we know you have a duo and that's what you're looking for, but um, we actually have a job for a solo pianist in um, the Ritz-Carlton in Osaka and um, 
we wondered if you'd be interested. And I said, well, look, that's really funny that you ask because um, I don't have a duo at the moment because he's just gone back to live in the US. And um, so they said, oh, can we, can you, you know, do an audition tape for this? And um, I said, yes, I'll put it out and see what happens. And um, a few weeks later, they came back to me and they said, you've got the gig. And um I really thought what a fantastic opportunity it is to go and live in another country and experience it and kind of get paid for it. So um, I went off for five months to do a gig, a piano bar gig in the Ritz-Carlton in Osaka, and it went really well. And I fell in love in the process with the ancient part of Japan. I wasn't so crazy about the modern part of it and the big cities and all of that sort of thing but as soon as I went to the historic parts and the Buddhist and Shinto temples and the sacred shrines and all of that sort of thing I think it really awakened something in me really awakened some memories in me and um, I felt very connected to those places and um, the follow after my contract finished I came back to Australia and kept doing my own music but um, they offered me the job again the following year and what I decided to do was I would go over, do the job, earn some money and after that go off and write an album. So uh, that's actually what I did and to write the album I rented a room in a little Jap, a ryokan which is like a little Japanese bed and breakfast type place um, up in the mountains on the edge of Kyoto which is the ancient capital of Japan and it's sort of an area where you're surrounded by um, misty mountains and bamboo forests and um, Buddhist temples and thousand year old Buddhist temples and sacred shrines and places like that and I just rented this room and decided I was going to go and stay there until I'd written an album, So, which um, was just the most beautiful experience because I'd wake up each day and as soon as I was awake, I'd go to my piano and start working on whatever music was in my head. And then um, as soon as I'd uh, done as much as I could do, I'd go out and go for a walk around a temple or go for a hike up a mountain or go for a walk through the forest or something, then come back and write more music. And um, I came back from Japan um, a few weeks later with a whole album called Silk, which um, was all music that was written during that time, during that little writing retreat. And I was really grateful because that as well as being able to tap into a completely different culture um, to write my music, it showed me that, yeah, you can write that way. You can have, you can, it's, it's much more um, efficient to go and write in, in a retreat situation. And so each of my other two albums that I've done since that, I wrote in different places, but the same way. That's a, that's a really good, uh, good way of doing it i think when i've worked on music at home you do tend to have the same distractions of daily life and you don't always get as much done as you think you might 
if you go off and I, I've heard this from other musicians where they, they actually go off to a, a recording studio to do their records and, mm-hmm. you know, they're away from, from their, you know, the rest of their life so that that way they go and just focus on doing the music. It is. And it's a, you know, it's a real, to, to me, that's, I think that's sort of honoring, you know, I, I, I've got to say, I sort of had, um, initially had a little bit of trouble about it because it's sort of, you, you sort of think that you're being really indulgent going off and staying somewhere. But I'm like, hey, this is, this is my job and this is sort of honoring what I do and um, doing it in the best way that I can. So I sort of got over the idea that I, people would just think I'm having this glamorous life going off and staying in places and writing music because it's a lot of work too. But, um, no, you're right, it is a much better way to do it. And then um, my last two albums have been um, mainly done in Australia, although a couple of um, other things along the way. Um, and the the album after Silk, which was um, The Quietening, and that that was released in 2008, and that's become my most successful album ever, which is fantastic. I actually wrote all of, for the first time I wrote in the area I live now, which is an area called the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. And we've kind of got um, a strip of coastline with really beautiful beaches, but then... Um, less than half an hour's drive we've got big mountain ranges and forests and uh things like that too so we're sort of subtropical here um but um yeah a lot of really really beautiful areas and a lot of really really beautiful retreat places you can go and write so um when i created the quietening i went to all of the places um around here that really inspire me and i went for like i'd take a few days at a time like one of my favourite places to write now, there's a little um, mud brick cottage with no electricity that um, a lady has built on a little hill sort of set back in the mountains, but you can see the ocean off sort of way in the distance. And um, I first booked this for a riding retreat and this lady said to me, oh, you know it has no electricity? And I went, yeah, that's what attracted me. So, um, but it has... <laughs> It has a fireplace and lots of gas lanterns and lots of candles and things like that. And I took a little car battery to run my digital piano on and my recording gear. And, um, yeah, it was exactly a place where as it's, I, I've been back there a few times um, now. It's, called, it's actually called Moon Dad's Retreat, which is a really lovely name. And um, as soon as I go through the gate, of this place sort of I just feel it's like a tap gets turned on and you know the creative juices just start flowing so that's really wonderful and we also have an amazing mountain formation just to the south of where I live called the Glasshouse Mountains and um, these are sort of made of um, they're mountains with very little vegetation on them and they're made of this sort of volcanic rock that really shines in the sun. So they actually look like houses of glass when you when it's a really bright, sunny day. And um, they're, they're, they're really distinctive mountains. And I went and stayed in this little place, which was over behind these mountains. 
so that when the sun came up in the morning, I could watch the sun rise through all of these glassy mountains and I wrote some of my, my music there as well and a couple of other sort of forest areas and things like that. So I've, I've got my little places around here that I, that I go and write now and that was, that was where I created the, the quietening. So um, that, that was, um, yeah, the retreat thing is definitely, um, is definitely the the most efficient way and the most fulfilling way to write i think so what obstacles if any have you had over the years as a musician perhaps something that was difficult that made you made you grow as a person it's interesting you ask that question josh because um what the way i promote my music now i like to go to music festivals and fine art markets and places like that and i actually set up and i play my music on my digital piano and I sell my albums there. And I like to be in places where it's just sort of quiet and relaxed and people are just sort of wandering around and they can, because my music's quite gentle, they can tune into what they do. And a lady stopped and listened to me a week or two ago and she stood there and, you know, had a good listen and then she came up to me and said, um this is really beautiful music and it's really intense music. She said, what tragedies have you had to overcome in your life to create this music? Because, you know, it's so intense that I really think you must have had to do something like that. And so I thought about almost the same question and fortunately I haven't sort of had tragedies like, you know, losing losing loved ones or surviving cancer or you know doing doing things like that you know thankfully um but it was believing in yourself believing in myself and the music i write enough to put it out there in front of people and um as as i said i had a very successful career as an artist doing covers. I made a I made a good living from it. People liked it. I got to do different things there. So, you know, when you go out there and completely play your own music, you're, you know, absolutely naked in front of people. And I think the biggest challenge was learning to believe in myself enough that I could actually do that. And... Um, having to overcome sort of, yeah, the fear of putting it out there, the fear of sort of being judged and the fear of, you know, what people are going to think. And, of course, with any kind of music, you know, some people are going to like it, some people aren't. That's the beauty of music. It's a very diverse thing. But um, the fulfilment I've had from being a 100% original musician is beyond anything I felt in my previous career, but I definitely had to sort of get to a point where um, I overcame my fears of doing that. And just probably the only other thing I'd say is that I it was sort of a fortunate accident that um, I ended up an original musician with a business degree in advertising and marketing because... I have this little part of my brain that I can sort of switch into that mode when I seem to need to use it and 
treat myself as a product that I need to promote. And that's really, really fortunate, has been really helpful. And now that as original musicians, we have things like iTunes, we have things like Facebook, we have things like MySpace, and we have a whole level playing field on which we can promote ourselves. Like it used to be that only people who were with a major record company got heard, and that is completely not the case now. We're very, we're very fortunate there has never been a better time to be an original artist, but you also have to be creative and talented enough to produce your music but also business and marketing savvy enough to be able to do something with it as well. And, um, <coughs> excuse me, I think the only reason I've sort of been able to get this to a point where um, I make enough income from it to, um, to survive in a reasonable way, um, I'm certainly not the most creative person I know or the most talented pianist or anything like that by any stretch of the imagination. But I seem to get this little combination of things that allow me to make the music but also organise myself in a business sense that I can I can get it out there to people as well. And probably the one thing I'd say to other people who are creative, you know, either learn to do that or find someone who will do that for you because it doesn't matter how great your music is if you don't have a way of getting it to people. Um, you know, it's it's going to, you're going to stay undiscovered and under, an undiscovered talent. And, um, you know, we've never, there's never been a better time and better resources to get your music to people. Like in a lot of cases, it can be completely for free. Like it costs you nothing to put a video on YouTube. You know, if you make a video, there, there are. You don't have to spend much money to promote yourself these days with all of the resources we have online. So, you know, either learn to do that if that's your talent, or if it's something you can't get your head around. You know, befriend somebody who who loves you and your music and will do it for you, sort of thing. And you know, um, yeah. So I think. The other challenge has been sort of finding a balance between being a musician and a creative person, but also a business person as well. You mentioned busking at the uh, the markets. How do you enjoy performing for others and what kind of response do you get there? I absolutely love it. I get incredible fulfillment out of that because it's just me performing the music that I write and um, it's funny because I've had as I said some lovely jobs in five star hotels and I know my mum sort of when I started playing at the markets and that and selling my music she's sort of like oh why don't you go back and work in the Ritz Carlton that was a really nice nice job and that kind of thing and I was like yeah mum but I wasn't playing my music there I was playing you know Elton John and Billy Joel and Elvis, <laughs> and um, it's um, it's just fantastic. Um, probably what helps, what I should explain, um, very close to where I live is one of the biggest and most amazing artisans markets in all of Australia. It's called the Yamundi Markets, and um, 
it would have over 300 stalls of people just selling the original um, things they create, whether it be painting, <clears throat> pottery, clothing, jewellery, whatever. So um, I'm in a fantastic creative atmosphere and people come from all over the country to just sort of go to this market and I sort of have a permanent space in that which I'm incredibly fortunate to have. And what has been lovely over the few years I've been doing that now is people will meet me, buy my music and then come back in a year or two and tell me their experiences of it and say, hey, you know, our kids go to sleep to your albums or, you know, I went through a real bout of depression and playing your music was the only thing that got me through or, um, you know, we, we played it at our our mum's funeral or our dad's funeral or, you know, we some incredibly touching stories or people who've recovered from cancer and have played my music through the recovery process. And to have people come back and tell you these stories of how what you've created has touched their lives is just, to me, that's much better than better than selling a million albums it's that the the fulfillment that comes from that is just absolutely incredible and <clears throat> you know i might be a small fish in the music industry but it does make me feel like i'm doing something really worthwhile in um in my little part of the world and also just having that instant feedback from people i think a lot of musicians if they're just known online or something like that um or they just you know um do big concerts or things you don't have those personal interactions with people and i would never want to lose that i'd i'd always sort of want to do that um because i think that's that's where the real magic comes from in in sort of getting feedback about what you create this is the the question we always ask on music life radio what does music mean to you yeah, it's it's kind of almost like who or what is God, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, um, okay. the The first thing that came to me, um, and this, I guess, is particular to the music that I write now and what I work in. Um, I I feel it's an avenue for healing. Um, I don't just write music. Um, for that purpose. So I write the music I want to write and what comes into my head, but I've had so many um, experiences where people have given me feedback um, that that is how it's worked in their life, whether it's to help them sleep, to help them through um, depression, to, to help them relax, to, you know, to you know, help, help at a, a difficult time or even just to get their kids quiet, you know, at a certain time of the day. But it's, yeah, I, I feel, I, I think music is about providing a frequency of healing that is available to people and then if they want to take on that, um, there's an opportunity to be healed, healed in whatever way is relevant to you through that. And um, so, yeah, that's that's what I see as 
a meaning of it for me. And otherwise, I guess I, it, I, I can't imagine myself ever doing anything else or expressing myself in a different way. I mean, I've done, I do a little bit of photography and art and story writing and things like that, but they're all just little things that I play with. So I, I feel like there is this creativity inside me, and if I didn't write the music I write, I would have sort of either burst or gone crazy or <laughs> something by now. It's it's definitely a drive to sort of, you know, get it out, get it, get what's inside of me out. And hopefully, you know, provide people with a positive experience um, in in um, in the process. And I guess the one other thing I'd say, and this is just purely relevant to my music and what I choose to do, I particularly um, seek to create music that is relaxing but is not depressing, um, that is sort of tranquil but still has a melodic quality, has an uplifting quality. So, you know, it's very easy to have calming music that brings people down um, because people, you know, it's it's very easy. I think, you know, e- everybody has the experience of hearing a sad song on the radio at just that moment and you kind of go... Oh, you know, that's what I'm feeling too when you sort of go and wallow in that melancholy of it. Well, um, that's very much what I wanted people not to do with my music. Sure, there's, other, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you, what you feel at the time. But, um, and that was, I guess, what brought me to the new album I've just created, which is Lifted, because I set out with a mission statement for that to create music that calms the mind and lifts the spirit. And so I worked very, very carefully with every note of every piece that I wanted every note to carry that frequency of being calming but uplifting. And I probably did more refining um, on this album than I've ever done on any other because I just wanted the energy of that to be just right, I guess you'd say. So, yeah, I want music to be something that heals and uplifts and that's probably what it really means to me yeah i think you do a great job at that because all the stuff i hear of yours is just it it's really powerful and it is very soothing you know i heard when you you sent me the the recording um of the new album i just mm-hmm. i put it on and it's just like i've i listened to it i guess the last couple nights um, before I go to bed, and it's it's perfect for that. It just puts you into this nice state, um, or even waking up, for that matter. <laughs> oh, um, thank you so much. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, as I, I was saying, the the people that have um have come back and tell me stories, and a guy who'd bought the my album a few weeks ago came back, and he said, "Oh, I'm loving it." He said, "I have a." an alarm clock that's a CD player, and I put your album in there as soon as I got it, and he said, it's, I've never taken it out, so I just wake up to this every morning when my alarm goes off, and it's really funny that the first track on the album is actually called Beautiful Dawn, so <laughs> I guess that's quite appropriate. So was your pro- uh, your writing process, did you do it uh, similar 
uh, where with this album, I mean, obviously you you did some more work on it detail wise, but did you do some of the same things where you went out uh, on location or you know in retreat to write it? Yes, I did, and I had a couple of interesting places that um, in inspired me. Um, it started probably about the middle of last year now, and um, so sorry, the middle of two thousand and ten. Um, and I took a trip to I I was in Hawaii, and which it was my first visit there, and I really enjoyed it. I found it very much like where I come from, which was kind of um, strange and comforting and beautiful all at the same time. But um, I went out and listened to some traditional Hawaiian music. And um, one night I just went to a little bar and there were two guys, one playing a guitar, one playing a double bass, just singing very soft acoustic music, whole traditional Hawaiian music. And I sat there for a few hours absolutely mesmerised. And there's this particular melodic interval that occurs a lot in traditional Hawaiian music where um, it falls, the melody falls by about a, a sixth sort of an ah sort of thing. And every time I'd hear this interval, I'd just get this beautiful, warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart and go, ah. And I sort of thought I want my the mu- the next music I'm going to write to have this quality just to like to to warm people's hearts when they listen to it and so I started playing with that interval and obviously my music didn't sound exactly like Hawaiian music but I took that little melodic feature and that little melodic quality of it and started trying incorporating that into what I did and then I also spent some time in Phoenix, in Arizona, and I loved the red deserts there, and I wrote a little bit of music there as well. I was very inspired by that area and just the expansiveness and the spaciousness of, you know, looking at looking out on the deserts there. And then sort of after the Hawaii experience and the Phoenix experience, I brought all my little ideas and my little pieces of music back to my special places here in southeast Queensland on the Sunshine Coast and went back to a couple of my favourite little retreats. And I went to a beautiful place in the mountains where um, there's sort of a big mountain range behind where I live and from the top of it, you can sort of see all the way across sort of to the ocean. And um, there are these lovely places that have little little cabins and little romantic retreats and places like that. And um, a friend of mine who runs these just said, look, whenever you want to come and write music, you just come. And she wouldn't take any money from me. She said, if, if we haven't got anybody booked in, you just go in there and write, which was a great blessing. So, um, And this is perched right up on the edge of a mountain. And um, I sort of, because I was writing an album I decided was going to be called Lifted, I thought, well, I should go up somewhere where I'm feeling really lifted and bring all of this music together. And that worked brilliantly. And you'd sort of see all of the clouds racing by and the sun coming up over the ocean in the distance. And um, 
sometimes one day I was there, the whole place was completely in a cloud for a few hours, so you were literally sitting sitting in the middle of a rain cloud, and um, other days it would be beautiful. But, um, yeah, that was the perfect place, I think, to sort of bring all of those ideas together. And um, I felt, as I said, I wanted to create, you know, I chose the title Lifted because I really wanted people to feel that as well as feeling calmed when they got the music. And, um, yeah, hopefully, so so far so good, people seem to have been feeling that. One other question I had for you was, uh, do you play any other instruments besides piano? And do you ever actually take the time to just sit down on, say, another instrument or think of writing not just on piano, maybe you get a melody from another instrument. Because it's something that that I I kind of feel when I work on music that each instrument has you can get something different out of different things. At least that's that's how I end up writing stuff. Sometimes I'll get an idea from a particular guitar that I wouldn't get from another one. Yeah, but they're, uh, very, very true, Josh. And um, I think the one instrument I do play around with, although I'm not particularly good at it, is just acoustic guitar because you can get a sound out of an acoustic guitar, a warmth and a gentleness of tone that you you can't get out of any other instrument. And I do like to, yeah, I, I do like to play around on an acoustic guitar my my problem is the piano is the only instrument i've trained really well in so that's that's the only thing i can play to a standard that i'd want to do it in front of people but you're absolutely right that i will play with ideas on a guitar and one of one of my favorite things to listen to for myself is actually solo guitar music i mean I listen to some solo piano too, but which, you know, there are a few other people in the genre that I work in whose work I really love. But, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's probably the main thing I do when, um, occasionally still get out and have a sing and that sort of thing. I mean, now that I've done six solo piano albums, who knows? Maybe I'll go off and do something completely different for the next one. <laughs> Anything's possible. <laughs> yeah, what type of, uh, groups do you like to listen to? Specifically, who do you? What are favorites? You mentioned Chopin, which is oh, okay, yeah. Chopin is is my favorite. When I listen to classical music, that's what I listen to. That's because yeah. there's nothing better as far as yeah. I'm concerned. No, absolutely. He he brought a dimension to the piano that that nobody had before. Um, so and it, and it a level of expression I think that nobody ever had. Um, strangely enough, with other classical music though, what I really love is baroque music. I love counterpoint. I love all these different little melodies weaving together to create something that's harmonious. And I, I love I love Bach and I love baroque choral music. So which sounds like a sort of bizarre thing. But um, that's 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 what I enjoy. And then um, in contemporary, um, yeah, as I said, I'm a big fan of George Winston, and he really, I think, got people to um, listen to solo piano music in a whole new way. And he really, I think, paved the way for sort of what I do in some ways. So I'm very grateful for him. I was lucky enough to see him in concert once, and. 
that was brilliant, and he's a really lovely man as well. So I think, yeah, he, he's definitely a big influence. And I love, as I mentioned, people, artists who create, um, use the piano and entwine it really simply and beautifully into their music. I mean, we've already mentioned Elton John and his piano technique, which is just really quite special. And as I say, one day sit down and listen to an Elton John song and try and tune out to everything else and just listen to the piano, listen to something like Tiny Dancer, and um, you'll really appreciate Elton John. And another person who, who... just uses the piano so beautifully, I think, is Sarah McLaughlin. She's a she's someone I'm a big fan of too. And she has a beautiful simplicity to the way that she plays but um, and entwines it really well with with what she does. So, you know, I like I like people like that. I like I definitely like music with heart and soul and feeling and, you know, all of that kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I'd just like to say thank you for thank you for listening to me and I really hope that um you know, if there's someone else out there listening who, you know, sits in their bedroom writing music or maybe hasn't you know, has been doing this stuff and hasn't quite had the confidence or the inspiration or the you know, whatever to get it out there that I'm just saying, Hey, I'm this little guy who lives on the beach in Australia and is not famous and is not rich but makes enough money to have a nice life out of just the music that I write. So, you know, it's possible if I can do it. I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there who can do it. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you've been thinking about it, I'd just say, you know, go for it because it can happen. I'd very much like to thank my guest, Richard Goldsworthy, for more information, please visit richardgoldsworthy.net. He has his albums up there uh, and some samples. Please go check it out. I think he's also on Facebook. He has an artist page. We're going to leave you with one more track of his entitled Starlight of Being off the latest album, Lifted. Thank you for listening. I'm Josh Allman for Music Life Radio. <laughs>